0: This is an Area Code Podcast.
1: Hi, I'm Amy Simmons.
2: And I'm Crispin Mayfield. And welcome to the Attached to the Invisible podcast. Dear listeners, we have another two-part episode for you on avoidant dismissive attachment. The first part is going to be discussing this attachment style, and we also take a little detour to talk about disorganized attachment, which is another attachment style, but something worth mentioning on this spectrum that we've been talking about. In the second part, we're going to talk about what dismissive avoidant attachment looks like when it comes to spirituality and relating to God. We've really appreciated the engagement from people about these episodes and this topic. If you'd like to email us, you can email us at attachedpdx at gmail.com. Our website is propheticimaginationstation.com slash attached to the invisible. And you can find me on Twitter at k underscore underscore Mayfield. Thanks so much for listening to the Attached to the Invisible podcast. We're going to get to it. Today, we're going to talk about avoidant dismissive attachment. Yes, sir. Um, But we were just talking about how there are often three categories. Yes. Um, So there's the anxious preoccupied, which Mm -hmm. we talked about in a previous podcast. Um, And then there's, of course, secure. Mm -hmm. So there's actually three insecure categories. So there's four categories.
1: Secure attachment does exist. (laughs) Yes.
2: So there's secure attachment, and then there's insecure attachment. And then there are three ways to be insecure. Uh, and one of those is preoccupied, anxious um, attachment, um, ambivalent attachment. Yeah. Um, another is avoidant dismissive, which we'll talk about today. And then there's this third category that uh, is sometimes disorganized, talked about as disorganized. Yeah. And sometimes talked about as fearful. And as I understand it, disorganized is what children are, and fearful is what adults are. Okay. And I can explain that.
1: Yeah, I think that that would be helpful, because this was a question that I asked Crispin as I was going. I remember Mm -hmm. hearing something, and, and I would be interested in just hearing what the difference is, because disorganized when I've looked at like research on like child behavior in school Uh is often associated with kids who are like getting in trouble a lot um, or kids who might have like kind of emotional or behavioral outbursts. Mm -hmm. And I'm interested in how that translates to a fearful avoidant adult.
2: (laughs) Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, in terms of children, so basically, uh, Mary Ainsworth created this system and in I was just telling Amy that she actually had like twenty-eight types. But uh, overkill. <laughs> right, yeah. So this is a very American version of this. Um if you talk to people in other parts of the world, um, they will talk about like the many, many different strategies yeah. and it's very specific to different strategies. Interesting. Um But uh, she was basically looking at, you know, are they preoccupied or are they avoidant or are they secure? And then there was this group of kids. I want to say it's like 10% or less. No, I want to say it's like 3%. Okay, super tiny. Yes. um, That uh, their behavior didn't match those patterns. And so she called them disorganized because there there didn't appear to be a way that they organized uh, their behavior towards connecting with their parent.
1: Oh, okay. That um, makes sense as a label.
2: Yeah, but there's been, like, different ideas of what that means. Okay. So um, it could mean that the behavior that they were seeing, that they are observing during the experiment, didn't fit their categories, but it would fit in the child's real life because of some extenuating circumstances where it's, like, this actually got their needs met in the best way that they knew how.
1: Okay. Yeah, this worked.
2: Right. Um, but okay. But then there's also looking at, uh, these are kids that um, didn't ever have a way to get safe. If you're uh, preoccupied, you're clingy, if you're secure, it's like, okay, I know I can go get safety when I need, when you're dismissive, it's like, well, at least if I can suppress my needs and emotions, then I can get close to my parent. But these are kids that um, they, there wasn't uh, a clear, they would do a lot of different things, like they would dissociate. Um, they might get really uh, – their behaviors might get really big. Um, they would just do a, l- a lot of times, like, really weird things. And um, and it was sort of hard to tell, like, what, how is this, like, serving a purpose, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, so it might be something that we would affiliate with kids from really high trauma mm-hmm. situations, which makes sense because right. I think some of the stuff I've read about disorganized attachment – with littles definitely mm-hmm. matches with the symptomology we're like looking at and watching for with kids for like, mm-hmm. is there some sort of like current trauma happening? Mm-hmm. Um, a lot right. of the things you would like, would educate like a school counselor on, or mm-hmm. I run a um, sex trafficking prevention program. And certainly some of the things we might talk about with um, like school staff as things to look for. Those mm-hmm. kids are a little bit older, but
2: right, yeah, yeah. I think
1: that makes sense.
2: Exactly. Because you're talking about
1: never being able to accomplish a sense of safety right Right, and if you're in a really um like assertively traumatic situation
0: right
1: right, even if you're stuffing down your feelings Mm -hmm. which we're going to talk about avoidant today Mm -hmm. and that was a thing that I had thought about in kind of prepping for that conversation was like well that's a that's a strong skill for if you're in a home that um is aggressive um, or unsafe when you draw attention to yourself. It's a really strong skill to develop is to, right. to avoid drawing that attention, mm-hmm. to re- avoid having those needs so you don't experience the backlash. Right.
0: Um,
1: so I think, especially with disorganized, it matches up with a lot of what we would say is consistent with like persistent sexual abuse, too, mm-hmm. um, which yeah. is a situation that no behavior creates an avoidance of right and yeah. certainly with like physical mm-hmm. and emotional abuse too that can also right. be very true
2: yeah and what happens is probably the best way to say it is uh, you have these two drives within you one drive is to connect with your parent when you're scared yeah the other is to protect yourself so mm-hmm. if you're scared if your parent is scaring you then you have these conflicted drives within you i want to go to my parent to get safe mm-hmm. i want to stay away from my parent because they're gonna hurt me yeah and the behavior that comes out of that like double bind um is like all lot of times hard to like it looks different for different kids and it doesn't make sense to an outside perceiver yeah so
1: and i think that's a good example of a way that we respond to trauma right can mm-hmm. so often be well we're responding to an unnatural situation, right? Right. Mm -hmm. And so the natural response to an unnatural situation is going to look really odd,
2: right? Right, Mm -hmm. Exactly. And so that's disorganized uh, with children. And then fearful uh, attachment style has more to do with uh, an internal... Because kids, we can only see their behavior. We don't know what's going on internally. Uh, Fearful um, is... Uh, has a lot to do with view of self and view of other. Yeah. So um, in preoccupied attachment, uh, you're good, I'm bad, so I need you, so I'm going to cling to you. In dismissive attachment, which we'll talk about today, I'm good and you're bad. I don't need you, I'm fine, I can handle it myself, (laughs) right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, fearful attachment is I'm bad and you're bad Yeah. so like I'm not okay on my own I really need somebody yeah. but I also can't trust other people so yeah. there's a lot of anxiety about being on my own but there's also a lot of anxiety about getting close to others
1: yeah which is a heck of a bind right exactly yeah. and then of course secure attachment in that right, right would be yeah. I'm good you're good yeah
2: right like Just I'm okay on my own like we were watching uh, <laughs> this terrible show last night
1: <laughs> oh I can't wait uh,
2: about blind dating
1: Ooh. on netflix
2: uh danielle was like you guys should do a, an episode about it and i was like well i don't know how that fits <laughs> in with like theology but uh if you
1: go on a blind date with jesus right yeah is that not anything
2: uh, it, i think it's always a blind date <laughs> at least one Hence way the name of our podcast right. yeah oh. <laughs> but it's you know a lot of the people uh would be like oh my gosh like this is the love that i've been looking for." This, like, this person that I've met is, like, the hole that is missing in me.
0: Okay.
2: And, but this, oh. <laughs> yeah, this one woman who, this would be a secure attachment style, she was like, yeah, I really like myself and I like my life, but I also think that I would like it better with him in it.
1: Oh, that's nice. Which that's is, a nice thing to say about a person. Right,
2: yeah. Not like... I'm nothing without you.
1: Yeah, good night. Right,
2: yeah. (laughs) Especially, I don't, I didn't watch the first episode, but it seems like they've known each other maybe like two days. I mean,
1: that's how it always, that's how it always goes. Mm -hmm. That's true romance is knowing someone for two days and committing your life to them. That's Mm -hmm. what I've learned from rom-coms.
2: Right, yeah, exactly. Do you think
1: everyone in rom-coms has, all the women have uh, ambivalent attachment and all the men
2: have avoidant attachment? That's a good, good question. (laughs) Makes me want to go back and and watch. D- I, that's definitely true of uh, while you're sleeping. Yeah. And, well, at least with uh, the man who's sleeping, definitely, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> we could.
1: I don't think you can call sleeping avoidance. <laughs> Little judgmental Kristen. <Christmas. laughs>
2: well, you know, when he wakes up. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and I think it's really important to talk about that part because yeah. there will be people, myself included, that are like, well, I feel kind of preoccupied, but I feel kind of avoidant. Yeah. At the same time, and there is a category for that,
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, and this is all like on a spectrum. It's people yeah. don't fit into like you know black and white categories. We yeah. use these strategies in different relationships at different times.
1: Yeah, and being able to identify with one of these categories and go like, yeah, that feels like a thing for me mm-hmm. does not meet. <laughs> You need to get concerned about being the extreme version of this, right?
0: Right, yeah. Um,
1: which is a worthwhile conversation that mm-hmm. I think we'll continue to have is like, well, what does it look like to be kind of healing attachments to? Mm-hmm. Um, people are talking, that's really trendy right now, to talk about like reparenting, which mm-hmm. I think is deeply related to this idea of healing right, attachments. Yeah. Um, Like reparenting yourself, which is a little avoidant to me, but <laughs> um, <laughs> right. other people help with that. Um. But, yeah, so I, I think right. it's, it's good to just acknowledge that also you may have already done a lot of work to kind of heal attachments without knowing that that's what you were doing, too, mm-hmm. as you, like, go out and try and be an adult who's better in relationship.
2: Right. Um, yeah. And there's a term for that, which is earned secure.
1: Ah, uh, yes. Earned.
2: Right. earned so the idea it. that if you have not, if you grew up in a situation where you shouldn't have a secure attachment style, but you do.
1: Yeah. The situation so. didn't warrant it.
2: Hmm. right so we're going to talk about um anxious avoidant dismissive yep attachment right um, many words yes yeah and um really the uh i recently spoke at my church cascade um, and talked about um imagining that you're four right and you skin your knee Mm-hmm. And you want to go to your mom who's sitting on the bench, mm-hmm. but you realize that if you go over there, she might say, like, I'm sorry, but, like, her face is going to show annoyance. Okay. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you're going to know, you're gonna, you know, you're going to know, like, she actually feels bothered by you. And so it's better to just, like, sit with that throbbing knee by yourself than to go feel like a bother to yep. your parent.
1: Yeah. Right? That's an interesting... Thought because I mean, we we talked about this in our first episode, um, and we'll dive a little bit more into avoid today, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think that that's a really interesting idea when we think about how our like attitude towards another person affects mm-hmm. attachment, right? Um, like, are we, are we earnestly interacting with other people? Or are we giving it lip service? Right. Mm-hmm. We talked about that 70%, right? Um,
0: mm-hmm. which
1: is still important. Right. That's uh-huh. that C, C average. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. But right. I, I think a lot of times, and I think this is huge with avoidant attachment. I'm sure it's large with, um, like anxious or ambivalent attachment as well, but it seems like avoidant attachment becomes quite quite generational, mm-hmm. right? So to empathize with your kid, right, uh-huh. when they come up to you with that skinned knee, you have to have an ability to empathize that comes from an ability to connect with your own emotion,
0: right? Right, mm-hmm. empathy is
1: at its base being able to see another person's emotions as something that you've also experienced. Mm-hmm. So if you're a parent or an adult or a partner with an ambivalent attack or um. Dang, I'm going to mess that up a lot. (laughs) If you're a person with an... Avoidant? Avoidant is the right word. We're talking about avoidant attachment. Avoidant, 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 avoidant. Okay, maybe I haven't. I
2: like using the term dismissive because <laughs> you dismiss your emotions, ooh yeah, and, and you other people's other emotions, yeah. which is
1: right on topic. Mm-hmm. So if you're a person with a dismissive attachment, you're m- much less likely to be able to empathize with someone and therefore pass on a dismissive attachment style,
2: mm-hmm. right? Right, yeah, definitely. Because what you, if you grew up in a environment where your emotions are not acknowledged or taken care of yeah right so actually it'd be helpful to start with what is the purpose of emotions so insecure attachment mm-hmm. emotions when they are authentic work to bring us bring others close to us yes right so
1: in space secure attachment
2: yeah right. <laughs> I was
1: like that's not right oh wait right
2: yeah <laughs> so um when uh when my son is crying yep Right. That is going to elicit in me empathy and sadness, and that's going to engage my caregiving system, Yeah, which is my caregiving system is paired with his attachment system. Oh. Um, and so my caregiving system comes online and I go, and my behavior then is to hold him. Yep. Right. And so that's what emotions are made for. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I do in couples therapy is when, um, When one partner is able to share vulnerably with the other person and say, like, it's so hard for me when you're mad at me because it just feels like you don't like me. And that's really painful. Yeah. Like when they can share vulnerably, then the other person can actually respond rather than like, I hate it when you're mad at me. You're just nagging me all the time. Right? Yeah. So all that to say, emotion serves to bring people close. Yes. But if you grew up in a house where it doesn't do that, then you have no use for emotion.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Right. It's like my best strategy is to just push it down, especially if me showing emotion is actually going to uh, bring shame or disdain or uh, push away.
1: Yeah. Or harm or, yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think thinking about what emotion is for is such a good, that's just a good question. Right. Because often emotion feels like something that happens to us. Mm -hmm. And I think, in a dismissive attachment style, that's a really big marker of that, right? In an ambivalent Mm -hmm. attachment style, someone might um, see emotion as a tool even, right? right? It's something Mm -hmm. to be utilized um, for other people. You express it with specific intention, right? I'm going to be happy Mm -hmm. with you right now. um, Whereas avoidance is is just kind of neutralizing out Mm -hmm. as much emotional expression as possible, which does not mean, to be clear, that like, you can know an avoidant dismissive person because they're just monotone all the time. Right. Right.
0: Mm -hmm. People
1: have um, expression and like emotional experience are not actually as tied as we assume they are. Mm -hmm. Um,
2: It's interesting because um, I've had a number of clients that are like, Oh yeah, I grew up in a family where we talked about emotions all the time, but talking about emotions and being able to sit, you know, for me to be able to sit with my kid in their emotion. Oh, yeah. Are two different things.
1: Two deeply different things. Right.
2: And sometimes what happens in families is like, oh, you have an emotion. Like, I'm going to talk to you about it so you can fix it because yes. I can't handle your emotion.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, I think that that's spot on, right, Is As- I feel like maybe this was, this was just a trend in raising kids in the eighties and Uh nineties because admittedly, I think it was huge progress from maybe ways that we had raised kids previously. Right. Uh Um, right? We were, we were moving in the direction of being like, yeah, Yeah. emotions are valid. But I remember hearing a lot, um, as a young person, like your emotions don't need to control you. Mm -hmm. Um, and kind of getting to a place later in life of being like no but they're also important
0: uh-huh. right
1: i often talk about like well em- emotions aren't like the picture but they're the color right mm-hmm. like th- they they create and fill in all of this stuff they give you right. context they give you all of this stuff mm-hmm. but they're they're not like kind of the the specific truth of a situation, right? Um, and one thing, yeah, that I think we, we taught kids for a long time, particularly like when we were growing up, was like, yeah, we can talk about emotions.
0: Uh-huh.
1: It's okay to feel sad, or you don't need to feel sad. Actually, I feel mm. like was a big thing of like, well, you don't need to cry about
0: that. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and yeah, it just it comes from a very different view of the of the value and purpose of emotion,
0: right? right? Yeah. It's,
1: Well, crying exists for you to tell me something's wrong. I know something's wrong, so you don't need to. Mm -hmm. I think that's often what parents are trying to say in that. Mm -hmm. Um, But what we wind up saying is that your emotions are unnecessary.
2: (laughs) Right, yeah. Uh Um, Which is
1: is quite untrue. Right. Right. As as I think most of us would agree. Mm -hmm. But, and I think that that's important. And I think sometimes avoidant, dismissive attachment can be taught through very well meaning statements. Uh
0: huh, yeah. Um, Totally.
1: It can be taught through a lot of. Yeah. Things that kind of exist to like placate and calm down and like, well, what? Because I'm empathizing with you. Right. Uh I want you to not be okay because I'm really uncomfortable empathizing with you. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And you mentioned that. Right. This creates this really big emotional discomfort. Mm
0: -hmm. And that's an
1: important question to ask as caregivers is mm-hmm. why am I responding the way that I'm responding, right? Uh-huh. Is it to make me feel better? Is it to make you feel better? Mm-hmm. Is it because I care about you and I want you to learn? Right? Like, right. what are what are the purpose of what we're doing? Because it is uncomfortable uh-huh. to see small people uncomfortable. Right, yeah. Especially if you love them very dearly. Uh-huh.
2: <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, I was talking with my friend Jeffrey, um, who w- I will be interviewing soon, um, who is an expert in an attachment and he was talking about secure attachment one of the hallmarks is being able to reflect on your own experience oh um and so knowing like yeah this is the emotion that's coming up in me um and i can be aware of that and so when i'm interacting with my kid i don't have to be responding to them out of my emotional need yeah Um, but I can make more space for them. And there are two ways that we communicate to kids that, I mean, there are lots of ways we communicate to kids that their emotions aren't okay. But one is (laughs) like the stop crying or I'll give you something to cry about.
1: Oh yes, of course. But
2: the other is like, Oh honey, like, let me fix it. Right. Like I start crying and then, uh, you know, my parent has to do something like take away my pain or take away my like the thing I'm struggling with or frustrated with. Mm-hmm. And I pick up on that pretty quickly. Like, oh, mom can't handle it when I'm upset.
1: Yeah. And that's an interesting one because I think there's like a fine balance mm-hmm. between mom can't handle it when I'm upset and the value of like sitting with a kid and being like, I'm sad that you're sad. Right. Like, mm-hmm. right. And and that, that's okay. And like models empathy, which mm-hmm. we really want for kids, right? Kids right. don't, learn empathy as naturally as we so often wish they would. (laughs)
0: Right, yeah.
1: Right? It's like how often do you get frustrated with a kid because you're like, what on earth were you thinking Uh you could have killed somebody? Like whatever that is. Um, Because we're modeling it for them. They're learning through what we do. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, there is a balance between like, oh, that I'm sad that you're sad Mm -hmm. and you're angry and so I'm upset and I'm sad and I can't handle it and let's just make it better. Like kind of that... um, my friend Kinsey always uses the term, like, vibrating with anxiety. <laughs> uh-huh.
2: Right, yeah, perfect, right, yeah. Um, I
1: think that that describes uh-huh. well the way you see a lot of parents interacting with with their kids in high-emotion situations, right. right? Is that, yeah. like, you can almost, like, see the mm-hmm. waves coming off of them of right. how... Yeah, how nervous we get about Uh discomfort. And I think often that comes through our own negative experience, right? Right, yeah. The less we've dealt with um, the things that were hard for us when we were small, Mm -hmm. the less space we have for the small people we know to experience difficult things. Right, yeah. Um, Because we're going like, well, that was terrible, so I don't want that for you.
2: (laughs) Right, yeah. Yeah, and then there's this other way that uh, can create dismissive or avoidant attachment. Um, where you have a parent that is very emotionally dysregulated. So they have a lot of emotion. So yep. their avoidant attachment can get passed on very easily where it's like, we don't talk about emotions. You don't <laughs> talk about emotion, you know, but it can also be like a parent. Um, and I would say like this tends to be more gendered. Um, yeah. and I would say particularly because, uh, kids end up spending the majority of time with mom rather than dad because of our society. But So if you have a mom that is, gets very emotional about Mm -hmm. things, gets very upset about things easily, Mm -hmm. then it's like, Hey, if I bring my emotion to mom, I'm looking for her to help me calm down and help me bring that calm to me. Mm -hmm. But if me bringing, uh, if I bring her my emotion and she gets, uh, you you listeners can't see my hands. If she gets big, if she gets dysregulated, <laughs> yeah. if she gets loud, if she gets intrusive and overwhelming to me, mm-hmm. then I'm going to learn that's not something that's going to help me calm down when I'm experiencing an emotion.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, oh, I have a thought. I lost it. Darn. Mm-hmm.
2: But I think it's um, – maybe it'll come back. Maybe
1: it will. Um, I hope
2: so. I think – yeah, thinking about, like, so what avoidant or dismissive attachment looks like in adulthood, right? Yeah. Um, And connecting those two. Oh, yeah, what was your thought?
1: Well, I was just thinking and wondering a bit Um, about – I'm just thinking about a coping skill that I've seen in a lot of adults because I've been – observing and this is a totally non-professional fully personal observation Uh um is how many adults i know um who sort of like go in on themselves and sort of fill their lives and like kind of their enjoyment is very, like, externalized into, mm. like, well, I go skiing mm-hmm. or, you know, spend time on my phone or play video games or, or what have you. Right. And that doesn't feel super in line with, like, ambivalent attachment mm-hmm. and doesn't feel super in line kind of those, like, isolated right. um, amusements, maybe, uh-huh. um, don't feel super in line with a secure attachment either. Right. And so I'm, I think I'm just playing with yeah. how some of that behavior right. in adulthood to sort of, um, Busy yourself slash mm-hmm. amuse again yourself.
2: Right. Yeah. Um, is so, in
1: line with an avoidant attachment style as an adult.
2: Yeah. So there is. So um, a couple of things on that. One is um, so when they were in the lab with the strange experiment, right, with kids.
1: The infamous strange experiment.
2: Um, yeah. Right. Strange situation experiment. Oh, there we go. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> right. This is a little more dubious. Um, so. Uh, you know, with the preoccupied kids, they would cling to mom, yep. um, with secure kids when they felt stressed, when mm-hmm. they felt worried, they would go to mom, but they could go play if they needed to, yep. uh, the avoidant kids would just go off and play by themselves. And yeah. what's going on there is I, there's nowhere to take these anxious feelings that I have inside. And actually they've, um, done studies where they looked at the cortisol, in the kids. So the kids with avoidant attachment are going through the same level of stress as the rest of the kids.
1: They just look chill,
2: but they look chill. Right. <laughs> and they're just like playing on the xylophone over here.
1: That's so funny. Cause the xylophone, I think a kid must play with a xylophone in one of those videos. Cause I have the xylophone uh-huh. so burned into my memory. Right? Yeah. But it's
2: like <laughs> such a good like picture of like, yeah, I'm just going to do my own thing over here. Yep. Right. And that's a way of me managing my emotions. And, uh, Bowlby, when he talked about, Uh, the way that uh, kids would manage their emotions. Um, One, you know, they would distract themselves. But um, he talked about uh, this hypnosis experiment where, um, you know, a hypnotist was able to talk to people about um, putting their hand in ice water and – you know, saying, you're going to put your hand in ice water and it's just going to feel normal. And they would do that and they did brain scans, mm-hmm. right, to show that – or not brain scans. They, it wasn't that time. uh, But they would measure, <laughs> like, pulse and heart rate. Yeah. Nothing changed, yeah. right? It's like – it was literally, like, that information was not being integrated into their brain. And with that, he was like, it seems like that's what happens with these kids is, like, if this emotional content – If there's nothing for me to do with it Mm -hmm. and my parent is telling me that it's not okay to have this emotion, Mm -hmm. then I'm just going to totally like dissociate from that. And maybe there's this part of the brain that sort of just like sorts that off to the side in the same way that this hypnosis did with these like people and ice Mm -hmm. water. Yeah. Which is kind of interesting.
1: Do you know rates of substance use among different forms of insecure attachment?
2: Um, I don't.
1: Because I wouldn't be shocked,
2: uh-huh. um,
1: drug and alcohol counselor over here, Right. Yeah. um, I wouldn't be shocked if avoidant has a much higher use of, um, particularly downers, mm-hmm. right? If specifically like alcoholism, right. it was not more prominent among mm-hmm. an avoidant dismissive attachment style, right? Because mm. it works quite well right, yeah. to, um,
2: suppress those suppress, negative emotions,
1: right? Um, yeah kind of create like a less, less noise of uh, uh-huh. really people get a little confused on what downer means. They think it, I mean, it's also called a depressant, so it's a right. fair confusion as people think about them as things that depress you, which certainly can be true, uh-huh. um, but it's mostly, it just kind of focuses in and takes a lot of the noise out of what's happening.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, yeah, so I, w- I wouldn't be shocked if right. an avoidant-dismissive style had a really high rate of, of alcoholism, which is, yeah. and, and nicotine, but, like, if those weren't some of the, right as, as major downers. What we do um,
2: know is there's a high rate of workaholism.
1: Yeah, interesting.
2: Um, so, and what we find, actually, is that um, dismissive-avoidant attachment is actually... Uh, first of all, it's the most functional of the insecure attachment styles. Yeah. So they, these are people that actually have um, more success. And part of that we talked about before is this idea of like, I'm fine, I'm good. Like, I don't know why I need other people. Yeah. I'm just going to do my thing. I'm going to go skiing. I'm going to do my work.
1: Live in the American dream.
2: Right. Exactly. Which and, has
1: no inclusion of um, emotional regulation or expression. So Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's
2: just like, I'm going like, to do my thing. Mm-hmm. And so um, with, I forget where I was going with that. Um, yeah. With uh, people with avoidant attachment, they tend to do really well in their careers because mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, like if this is going to help me avoid the emotions I'm feeling yeah. and just focus on a task, right. And think linearly and think rationally. Yeah. Um, then, then I can just focus on that. And actually I work at an ADHD clinic, um, and hyper focus is a symptom of ADHD, mm-hmm. but there are so many clients that I've worked with. They're, they're like, oh yeah, well my ADHD, um, you know, that's why I like play video games all night. And I'm like, I know what's going on. You no, have no, no. like an emotion <laughs> that if you actually slowed down and sat with yourself, you would have to sit with some of those emotions. You might
1: explode uh, right. at this point uh-huh. once you're an adult and have been suppressing it for so right. long. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And what's going on is, um, uh, uh, Kurt. Oh. Um, So Kurt Thompson in his book, Soul, not Soul of Shame, uh, Anatomy of the Soul, both good books, (laughs) um, talks about a little bit about the neurobiology of avoidant dismissive. Okay. Um, So actually, this is really interesting to me. Um, There's reduced activity in the insula, which is the part of the brain that translates emotional signals from the body and also translates nonverbal communication from others. So, like, this part of the brain that, like, is connected to our emotions in our body and emotions in others' bodies actually, like, slows down.
1: Yeah. Well, and that, if I can implicate uh, Mm -hmm. capitalism in our problems for a moment, Mm -hmm. bring out my social worker side, um, it makes so much sense to me that a person... Um, whose main skill set is not connecting with emotion uh-huh. would do very well in an American business scenario. Right. Right. If. Mm-hmm. if- you are not built I think I joked about this before of like if I had an avoidant attachment um, style I probably would have a really hard time like just a strictly avoidant attachment style I'd probably uh-huh. have a really hard time doing my job sometimes I might be really good at it because um, mm-hmm. boundaries and not getting overly emotionally involved can be important right.
0: um,
1: but I'd probably have a hard time like being a social worker people liked uh-huh.
0: <laughs> um, Right.
1: whereas in a business scenario right the, the actual real like Positive feedback and benefit you would receive from mm-hmm. not being super emotionally in touch
2: with mm-hmm. what's
1: happening at work right. is a really high value mm-hmm. um, and is something that I know we t- we've we talked about before, but just to always be remembering the ways that um, – these attachment styles can reinforce themselves. Right. So if yeah. you're a person who with an avoidant attachment style who then mm-hmm. goes on to into a workplace that's affirming and praising that, we have a situation that and unlike ambivalent, it's really scary to heal an avoidant attachment style, mm-hmm. right? Like going to earned attachment from there can feel like a real step back in certain arenas of your life where you've been receiving ample praise Mm -hmm. for functioning this way. Like, how incredibly terrifying.
2: Right, yeah. Totally. And what we find is that uh, usually the road from dismissive to earned attachment is actually going through preoccupied. <laughs> so first you get in touch with your needs of like, I need other people. Uh-huh. And then you're like scared that they won't be there for you. And then you learn that they are there for you. And
1: it's actually okay.
2: Right, yeah. Yeah,
1: that kind of, that makes sense. Just in terms of like, yeah, you would, you would kind of need to, you may have totally had those experiences before, right? Of people mm-hmm. are reliable, but if you're not, attuned to them. Right. Right. I know you've, you talked about this with, um, like marriage counseling, mm-hmm. right. And if you have a spouse who's like consistent and loving and present and attentive right. and responsive, but you've never been attuned to that. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. How incredibly afraid you might right, be. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah.
2: <laughs> right. So I, I think I want to talk about, um, one, like the, just this relationship that avoidant, uh, dismissive people have with emotions, yeah. Which is like if you grew up without anyone helping you manage your emotions, yeah. Then emotions are actually really scary. Yes. And so your best strategy is to avoid and suppress them. Mm-hmm. Unknown right? territory. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I have some of this dynamic. At one point, uh, a few years ago, uh, my wife Danielle was like, "I," th- she was like, "I think that you need to like go take some time alone." And, like, kind of figure out what you're feeling. And I was like, why would I want to do that? Like, <laughs>
1: that sounds terrible. What is wrong with you for asking that? I mean. <laughs> right, yeah.
2: I'm like, they're just bad feelings. Why would I want to feel them?
1: <laughs> oh, that's such a beautiful example. Right. Why on earth?
2: <laughs> right, yeah. And that's, that is, um, for a lot of people with avoidant attachment, that actually is sort of the thing is, like, why would I want to, like, get in touch with feelings of sadness when I can just be positive?
1: Yeah. And I think that that's a valid question. Right. Well. Um, honestly, to, to, if you don't and have never received a narrative on, like, the true value of emotion mm-hmm. or especially, again, with with folks – dealing with a dismissive attachment style, right? Um, if you haven't experienced, and this is true of, I think all insecure attachment styles, if you haven't experienced the value of connective relationship, mm-hmm. then, I mean, we're asking people to move the, move on faith to something that they have never experientially
2: right. had, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, there are, so, when it comes to, when I work with couples therapy, there's a couple of dismissive kind of types of people that I tend to work with. One is like, I have, and this would go a little bit more fearful, but it's like, yeah. I am feeling things, but I shouldn't. And yeah. so I'm pushing, the, I'm actively pushing those back.
1: I'm aware that I'm pushing them
2: Right. Back. And I have this feeling, I hear this a lot, uh, for, um, especially for men, that. My negative emotions are gonna like get on you and drive you away, mm. right? It's, it's like this poison.
1: You, are, are only men supposed to feel that way? Do <laughs> I not? That feels familiar. Right.
2: <laughs> um, right. And so it's this. Fe- it's this idea of like I need to get rid of the because. If you grew up in a home where me showing a negative emotion actually did drive my parents away, then that makes sense. And so for them to have this experience of, like, sharing, like, I actually, I feel really sad about this thing. Mm -hmm. And for a partner to be like, oh, like, when you tell me that, I feel closer to you. That doesn't drive me away. Like, this is a thing I've been waiting to hear. Right? So there's that sort of category of, like, dismissive, but they're aware of the emotion. They're just, like, trying to push it down. But then there are people that are like, yeah, I don't feel anything and I don't. Yeah. Right. And it's like they um, were never um, given the skills um, and were given so much like uh, confidence. They have a lot of confidence in themselves. It's actually like they it's not like, oh, you're just like pretending it's like no like i think i'm pretty good and i don't really need other people and um, usually the thing that's pushing that is they're like well why would i need to share emotions and the thing is if you want other people to feel close to you then you have to share emotions you
1: can see a benefit in having you know other people around at all right Uh, yeah yeah, and i think that that's an interesting um kind of catch 22 of a dismissive attachment style is Mm -hmm. in order to want other people to experience being close to you there's a lot of things that are barriers there other than just kind of not thinking you need it it's like well if you're struggling to have strong empathy Mm -hmm. if you're struggling um i had another example too but i forgot it but i mean empathy would be huge right right if i don't if i don't see it as a need right Mm -hmm. and i think often um we always as human beings, I think kind of expect that people function the way we function mm-hmm. or that we're really weird. Um, I think a lot of right. us kind of bounce between those uh-huh. of like, well, we assume other people are thinking what we're thinking and somehow simultaneously think that we're the only person experiencing right. what we're uh-huh. experiencing. Yeah. It's fantastic. Um, great.
2: It's great description of being a human. <laughs> yeah. This is really yeah.
1: fascinating. Um, yeah. And I, I think if if you're, being human with an attachment style, yeah. right? And you, you think other people are just as independent mm-hmm. or just as, like, good to go or that they need to be, right? Right, yeah. Um, I think we t- talk about that classic, more gendered, like, marital dispute, mm-hmm. right? It's like, well, you need to be more emotional. Well, you need to be less emotional, right? Right, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And then it's like, well, we need to meet in the middle. I was like, well, no, probably not that either, actually. We right, just, like, yeah. all need to be interacting with our real human emotions right. um, in some healthier ways. But yeah. it's not about being more or less emotional. But right, what yeah. you do with the emotions you have. Mm-hmm.
2: And what is – what a lot of people don't know, myself included, <laughs> is that if you actually sit with and engage with an emotion, yeah, it usually, like, dissipates. It doesn't yeah. have to stick around and it doesn't have to – it's – there's, like, this crest and then it drops – and then you have this like wisdom of like what that emotion was trying to tell you
1: yeah I had a I had a therapist back in the day who described it as a wave right uh-huh, right it's yeah. like just instead of <laughs> instead of fighting the wave right. just like yeah. let the wave wash over you mm-hmm. right not even ride the wave I don't know that that's good emotional uh-huh. advice dealing with you're feeling just ride that anger wherever it goes yeah. um, but letting it wash over you and going like this is where I am mm-hmm. um I think often with people who are moving through towards earned attachment um, from avoidant, dismissive, we'll find that they actually have a much larger emotional range than they had imagined. Mm-hmm. Um, I think about, I think, uh, Brene Brown, right, who mm-hmm. many of us are quite familiar with, particularly in the um, pe- people services world. Uh-huh. Uh, that's not what you call it, but I like it. <laughs> 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 um, Talks. I think she, she often finds herself speaking to an avoidant attachment mm-hmm. style, interestingly, um, which probably speaks to her, but I, I won't um, name uh-huh. her attachments for her. um, And, oh, what was I thinking about with her? What were we just talking about? Dang it. Dang it, Crispin.
2: Brene Brown. Brene
1: Brown. It was right before that. There was something she talks about that I wanted, I was thinking about. Ah, oh, darn. It wasn't the, like numbing everything out thing, though I have mm. thought about that with,
0: mm-hmm.
1: about how Brene Brown says that we can't selectively numb things. Uh-huh. I think it's a very good like avoidant attachment thought. Oh, she talks about in one of her books about how people, um, the average person has an emotional vocabulary of eight words. Mm. Um, and that like people who are considered to be emotionally intelligent have an emotional vocabulary of, I think it's like 25 to 30. Mm. Um, and I think that <laughs> Often people with an avoidant attachment style um, will maybe have an emotional vocabulary of like two or three. Right, we uh-huh. can say I can say I'm happy or I can say I'm mad.
2: Mm-hmm. Right, does yeah, that feel really, fair? Yeah.
1: Um, sad is even sometimes yeah, out yeah. out of reach. Um,
2: or good or bad. Or good or bad. I feel, bad. Good.
1: I feel, I feel bad. good. I feel bad. Yeah, yeah. Right? It's like it's not even emotional vocabulary. It's right. just like kindergarten yeah. vocabulary. Right. Um,
2: yeah, and part of like having that vocabulary is important, but also it's really comes down to like you have a sensation in your body, yeah, and then it's being able to tell like what does that mean? Yeah, right? and I think
1: I think that that's part of what Brene is talking about when she says that is like when we have that like, right. but by that we mean like I can say it and I can know that experience for myself, right? Right, yeah. and that we're moving towards, and I think that you know. This is no surprise, but I think Uh I could say pretty confidently that people with an avoidant attachment style, as they nerve, wow, (laughs) that was a fun mistake. It's not even
2: the end of the week yet, so I don't know. I'm
1: in deep, deep trouble. I've been talking all day. I was being filmed (laughs) presentations, so I've just been talking and talking, and my tongue's done. Um. I think people with an avoidant attachment style, I can say pretty confidently as they move towards an earned attachment, um, are going to experience a quick and intense expansion of that emotional language, Uh which again is jarring, right? right? And I think we don't want to imply at any point that moving towards earned attachment is just some sort of like happy-go-lucky aren't you gonna be glad you did this the whole dang time right move right Mm -hmm. um any any good therapist or social worker as i think we like to believe we both are Mm -hmm. um would tell you that like well hard works hard and Mm -hmm. it's gonna get stickier and Mm -hmm. probably feel worse before it feels better. Uh Right, yeah. (laughs) Um, And that's super true, but I just think about that really, I think maybe because I am less on the avoidant end, I Mm -hmm. feel very empathetically Uh about how difficult maneuvering, um, Mm -hmm. moving towards earned attachment would Mm -hmm. be. Because honestly, when you talk about the, preoccupied attachment as as a stepping stone for a lot of people uh-huh. isn't that the fear right, right. isn't yeah, that the specific yeah. fear right. people uh-huh. with a dismissive attachment style right. are struggling with is like well i don't want to get all needy <laughs> right.
0: yeah.
1: it's exactly. like well yeah okay yeah. you right. gotta face your fears to move yeah. towards that <laughs>
2: right oh yeah um yeah i think about you know the people with dismissive attachment you're talking about like relating to others, right? Yeah. And these are people that are like, "I'm not emotional. I get annoyed when other people are emotional. It's just not rational, <laughs> right?" Like, w- they don't need to have that emotion. What's you know? But I think what's going on there on some level is, um, I'm trying really hard to to keep my own emotions right down. But then you're showing emotions, which is triggering emotions in me, which is annoying me because, like, I'm trying to, like, keep this under wraps. I'm trying
1: to not with that. Right.
2: (laughs) Exactly. I think that's one part of the annoyance. And the other, I think, is some insecurity. Yeah. Where I'm like, I don't know how to do this emotions thing. Mm -hmm. Right. That's actually really scary for me. So I'm just going to, like, criticize you for being too emotional.
1: Oh, yeah. And and thinking about how often folks with an avoidant attachment are incredibly successful um, and capable and see themselves as successful and capable. Mm -hmm. So being in a scenario where you are nowhere near the expert, in fact, you don't even kind of know the language being spoken.
2: Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: It's it's threatening, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. Like, it's fully fully disorienting. And why would you want to be in that situation? I wouldn't.
0: Yeah. Exactly.